Hello, everybody. Sorry, I'm dealing with some of the uh, little bits on my cheapo soundboard here. My name is Steve. This is my first podcast. And I'm just doing this as a um, sort of exercise in boredom relief. But I'll do these occasionally. And eventually I'll get the sound mixed right. So it is February 24th. It's almost 11 o'clock in the morning. Just got done cleaning, and you're probably wondering right now why I'm listening to this. Well, if you're listening to this particular one right now, you are probably a friend of mine who might be interested in seeing how this actually sounds audio-wise. But I'm going to try to do these periodically. Hopefully I'll do it with a... uh, co-host at some point, whether it's either in person or over an iPhone, which I can theoretically jack into my cheapo soundboard and have those people participate over by phone. But I intend my podcast, at least for the start, to go ahead and be kind of a mix of philosophical discussion, scientific discussion. And probably more than anything, a little bit of comedy. But it is just me today, so I'll do my best. And today's topic is one that I've been rolling over my head this entire week. And it has to do with uh, the issue of mental health. A little bit of background for myself. I worked in IT for 20 years or so. And then decided as I got a little bit older that if I didn't go back to grad school for something I actually wanted to do for the rest of my life, I was probably not going to do it past that point. So I went back for a uh, a master's degree in professional counseling locally. I am here in the outskirts of Pittsburgh, grew up in the center of Pittsburgh, and have lived here my entire 47 years. So I know the area pretty well. And specifically around mental health, I do work in the industry right now. I have the training to go ahead and be a professional therapist, if I so chose. Um, But a lot of people don't realize this. Once you get a master's degree in professional therapy, um, there are a lot of state-level hoops to jump through to be considered a licensed professional therapist. Now, of course, that's all bullshit. Um, it's, I can't recall the exact number. It's either 3,200 hours or 3,600 hours on the job before you are eligible for licensing. So if you do whatever the correct number is, math in your head, it's about two years, 40 hours a week before you are considered to have a license, even though you have gotten a legitimate master's degree. That's your first bit of bullshit right there. Because going through those set of hours, half of those are supposed to be in face-to-face work with clients. So that's 1,600 or 1,800 hours. They are supposed to be face-to-face. The other 1,600 or 18 hours can be pretty much anything you want related to the profession. So it can be training. It can be um, it can be administrative work. Sorry about any background noise, I'll work on that. Um, 
it can be administrative work. It can be, you know, even reading the statutes around how you can bill for the time. Your typical session runs approximately 53 minutes, which gives you the extra six minutes, or seven minutes, sorry, um, to go ahead and get the necessary signatures and fill out your client notes, which you have to do each time around, and all that other stuff associated. So, that is two years to even be considered licensed. During those two years, also a requirement is that you get one hour a week at a minimum of what's called supervision, which is talking to somebody who currently has a license. And they tell you you're doing okay, you're not doing okay. And they have to go ahead and track that time and your progress as well. It's good in theory. The crappy thing is, is most places who hire unlicensed people who are working towards their license force them into what's called behavioral work. And a lot of that behavioral work is remote. And a lot of it's for adolescents or people on the um, intellectual disability spectrum. Certainly two categories that need help and assistance. Um, but working with a person in that sort of situation, especially remotely, for 53 minutes, a couple times a week at most, sometimes it's just once every two weeks. It can instead be an exercise in essentially um, caregiving. You know, for the younger younger kids, is it's almost like babysitting. Uh, behavioral work focuses a lot on basically Here's how you should be doing things. Here's what you're doing that doesn't really fit into behavioral information provided. And at the end, you're supposed to pop out a well-adjusted or as well-adjusted as a person can be. Um, it's not the type of therapeutic session that you typically see in TV or movies. Um, number crunching position with a local uh, organization that provides mental health services. I ended up there because of my IT background. So they figured, well, he knows mental health well enough that he was able to get through grad school with it. And he knows how to use computers. And uh, folks in the mental health field are notoriously bad. At technology so they, uh, they figured I was a good fit for this job which has suddenly and unexpectedly come open so I'm not doing therapy right now but I could because I'm pretty good at it and um, the, one of the other misconceptions before I get into the main topic here is that therapy is telling people answers to their questions and it's not um, if you run into a therapist who tries to give you answers to your own problems, uh, you're probably looking at a very, very bad therapist or a poorly trained and educated one. Therapists do a lot more listening than talking. Um, they ask insightful questions. That's the most important part of the interaction with the client is asking pointed questions that make people think. Ultimately, the uh, client themselves is a person who is tasked with 
coming up with a solution to their mental health concerns. Because nobody knows themselves better than themselves. At least that's my point of view on it. So occasionally you will have these systems like cognitive behavioral therapy, a couple others. They'll be popular. They'll have a framework for how to work with clients. And it's not delving deep into things like their childhood, uh, their feelings of inadequacy, um, difficulty with intimacy, that sort of bullshit. That's what I'm interested in. Um, I don't really particularly care what made somebody uh, decide to dislike the cashier at their grocery store. You know, maybe they're just, maybe they have a low tolerance for um, social settings or something like that. And personally, I see cognitive therapy, behavioral therapy, as being a way of reprogramming your brain, which maybe that's maybe that's useful to a lot of people. I think it probably is. Um, but I'm personally more interested in figuring out what problems people have with themselves. Um, that gets back to stuff like inadequacies. And beyond that, what um, what things that they've had the strength in themselves to overcome throughout their entire life. So it's not like Freud was focused on what screwed you up. Um, my point of view is a little bit more focused and it's called uh, Adlerian after a certain protege of Freud's. Um, before I get too far afield here on this whole topic, just to say that, and it, that's more focused on, you know, what challenges have you overcome and what strengths do you have that allowed you to over those challenges that you maybe don't give yourself enough credit for. Um, so, anyways, that's getting towards today's topic. You know, I'll probably do this for till I run out of gas on it, but, uh, you know, somewhere between half an hour and 45 minutes. But the thing that's really pissing me off here is that mental health is something that is absolutely talked more about in popular American culture right now. We see it all over the place. It's in ads. Oh, mental health is critical. Mental health is important. Everybody who needs it should have access to mental health care. And all this money is being dumped into, quote-unquote, mental health awareness. Now, the critical thing to remember here is that is all complete and utter fuckery. Nobody cares about mental health more than they used to. All right? Mental health is now seen as a vehicle for people and places to earn considerable amounts of money. Now, those people who are earning considerable amounts of money are not the therapists, which is kind of what this whole lead-in was about. What we have created by focusing almost solely on mental health awareness and the attendant issues around that 
is we have created a population who feels that they have a need that needs to be fulfilled. What we haven't done is push any improved funding, any improved programs, structures, anything that, oh, I don't know, requires work and time and more than anything else, money, to go ahead and be devoted to it. It's nice, it's easy, it's wonderful to just put out a little PSA, hey, everybody's mental health really matters, and, and uh, you know, go talk to an expert. So that's where we have a vacuum, is experts are being funded. And when I say expert, I mean actual experts, educated and with actual experience. I want to make sure we're still. Oh, sorry, we stopped recording at some point. I don't know where. Anyways, well, let's restart from the Wall Street Journal part. So, the Wall Street Journal has an article out there titled, Can You Solve Loneliness? These startups are betting on it. And uh, in typical Wall Street Journal, um, style of completely missing the point. It says that medical practitioners are calling such, such things as loneliness, detachment, um, really more existential issues, if you will. You know, why am I here? What's my purpose? All that stuff. And, and it is epidemic out there. There are a lot of people who are seeking a reason for their being. Um, we see a lot of people who are able to successfully combat that sort of thing by joining social groups, um, you know, attending things like group therapy, intensive outpatient therapy. Uh, but, you know, in-person meetings really aren't they don't seem to be as big a thing as they were six, 50 years ago. Now, a lot of people say this is all because of social media, this is all because of the pandemic. Nah, I think it was on the decline for a long, long time now. Um, people are generally far more fearful of their fellow public than they probably ought to be, uh, you know, being protective of their kids, um, thinking that there's some sort of child molester or uh, kidnapper, or what have you, lurking around every corner. That I have a solution to. Uh, well, at least a reason for it. And that reason is people are fucking idiots. People hate looking at actual statistical data, and they love seeing bullshit get passed on from another person to them, and then passing it on to another person. This is why I am besieged by uh, folks saying that if you get a zip tie on your car at the uh, car's door handle at the gas station, it means that they have marked you as a single white female who is going to be instantly trafficked into a life of degradation and sex and drugs, which, let's be honest here, nobody really cares about you. Um, 
Nobody wants to kidnap you, and if they're going to do it, they're not going to do it at a gas station that is well lit and has video cameras around it. This is simple fear mongering. It's happened forever. It's going to happen forever. And again, that's because people are fucking idiots. And other people take advantage of it for their own edification and amusement. Anyhow, so back to the Wall Street Journal story. Can you solve loneliness? These startups are betting on it. So they go on to talk about um, situations where so-called experts are saying that measured levels of loneliness and um, feeling treated as an outsider and sadness are per becoming increasingly increasingly pervasive in our society. And, yeah, they're problematic, of course. Um, but we do not have the correct social skill set or tool set being funded for a set of professionals. So, again, there comes that vacuum that I mentioned previously. We don't have anything like that in place. So here come the hucksters and the snake oil salesmen and all the bullshit artists who are looking to fill this vacuum with stuff that takes no training, no education, very little effort, and they somehow market themselves well enough to a vulnerable, stupid, at least stupid about things that don't really matter, you know, like science and actual uh, efficacy of care. And they have some spare money on hand. So, of course, they're going to be targets. And these people are stepping in. And they are getting private funding for what they call treatment of mental health care concerns, which more often than not is expressed out in stuff like meditation and the term of wellness. What the fuck wellness is, I don't know. For a lot of the people who are homeless, wellness might mean a sandwich and a cup of hot coffee and a safe place to sleep. That is at the bottom of the you know, pyramid of social needs. Um, how these people define wellness really depends on what they can charge the most for. So this article explains how people, again, are feeling isolated, disconnected, etc., etc. And one of the lines not far into the article says, and this is an entire paragraph of itself, who better to help than investors in entrepreneurs? And that part, if my phone screen wasn't already cracked, it probably would have been after that because I was, that's a lot of traffic out there, uh, because I was pretty infuriated by that. Again, it's who better to help than investors and entrepreneurs? My answer is fucking anybody. Anybody is better to help than investors and entrepreneurs. 
because investors and entrepreneurs are profit-based. And being profit-based is not necessarily a bad thing. When you are peddling bullshit scientific solutions to a long-diagnosed and research-based level and path of care, when you are making that profit-driven and solely profit-driven to rubes who will believe literally anything they see on the internet, that's a gold mine for these people. So they're um, essentially saying it's, and this is somewhere later in the article, and I, I won't bother to look up the exact wording, <clears throat> but these people are making what are essentially social centers. Hey, that's fine. Good. It's a place where people can go ahead and meet and interact with other folks who may be like-minded. That's great. That's why, historically, we've had places like the Elks and the American Legion. Um, you know, on the, on the good side of things, you have you know, Sockhoffs. All that stuff that's fallen largely to the wayside in the uh, latter portion of the last, last century. Uh, on the negative part, you have clan rallies. You know, like-minded people in a, in a group where they're self-reinforcing. Clan rallies, not good. Okay? The local bowling alley and the Elks Club and book clubs. Yes, good. Okay? So these things are not necessarily good just by their own being. It's a gathering of people, and like any other gathering of people, it can be shitty, it can be good, or it can turn from good to shitty very, very quickly. It can also be monetized, where you are charging people to go ahead and pay to spend money to do something that should be done for free. This goes into these people's, oh, you know, the benevolent tech rulers and entrepreneurs and investors. That goes directly into their pockets because, again, this requires no expertise. It doesn't have anything certifying that they know what the fuck they're doing. So it's pure profit, aside from the advertisement. One of the things described was a 5 a.m. dance party that was made mandatory for people who signed up for the program. Oh, and substance-free dance party. Sounds like shit to me. I'm not waking up at 5 o'clock to go mix with a bunch of fucking other losers. And that's acknowledging that I am myself a loser. But... This was seen and promoted in this Wall Street Journal story as being some sort of therapeutic session. They actually went so far, and this is the quote I remember from the story, they said, it's essentially group therapy. So getting in a room at 5 a.m. with a bunch of people and dancing around to shitty rave music and probably seizure-inducing flashing lights and all sorts of rippery and fuckery. That's considered the equivalent to Wall Street Journal 
of group therapy. As a person who has participated in group therapy and also given group therapy, I don't recall my having done a rave dance party at a stupid time in the morning in any of my group therapeutic encounters. Maybe maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm just out there. I don't know. Um, but I, it doesn't strike me as the equivalent of group therapy. It, it, you know, call me crazy, what with my education and not being in tune with my spirituality and uh, you know, being aware but not believing that certain vegetables like beets vibrate at 500 millihertz a second, which is the same vibration that my cat's purr happens at. So cats naturally are attracted and love beets and other certain vegetables, which is all bullshit I do see online. Now, it says that things vibrate with this internal energy. A crying baby vibrates at 32 kilohertz. What the fuck does that mean? Are they literally vibrating? They have some sort of spiritual vibration that can't be detected scientifically? What are you, what are you fucking telling me? If that makes you feel better about yourself, wonderful. Go ahead, have at it. You know, believing something doesn't doesn't cost anything, and if it works for you, do it. I believe that very, very sincerely. The problem is, is when you start getting um, ads blasted at you that are charging people to raise your level of spirituality and well-being and guided meditation certain noises naturally dampen your neurophysical, metafuctual, whatever the fuck it is. That pisses me off because me, people are monetizing something that is essentially free. And there's no licensing. Again, there's no education required. There's nothing. If you like being around a group of other people, I recommend you don't pay somebody organizer. Maybe you pitch in a little bit of money every so often for maintenance of the space that you work, that you meet with these other people in. Fine, that's fair enough. But when I see that places are, this is off of the uh, spirituality kick, but more onto other um, treatments for pervasive instances of depression. The one that comes to mind is something, some bullshit artist called Mind Bloom. All right. And again, another theme that's common to psychology and psychiatry is everything old becoming new again. So when we see one flew over the cuckoo's nest and Jack Nicholson is, is getting his brain zapped, electrodes and turned into a vegetable, quite possibly a vibrating beat uh, at the end of it. That is something they used to legitimately do to people to pass it, make them pass it in a uh, medical setting. Well, we now have it rebranded as uh, ECP, 
uh, which I've seen called a couple of different things. Uh, electroconvulsive therapy, electrocranial therapy. I don't know. People love to repurpose uh, acronyms to hit whatever words that happen to come to mind at that point. So I don't know what the official term is, but it is referred to now as ECT. And I have seen actual peer-reviewed uh, double-blind studies that show that it can be helpful. They knock you out for something like two hours, zap your brain, and for some folks that does resolve their medication-resistant uh, depression. Good for them. That's wonderful. And it's scientifically based. Some other studies that I've read, and these are legitimate studies also, uh, say that ketamine, which was also widely used, I think, back in the 50s and 40s, um, can be helpful uh, in terms of resolving persistent depression. Ketamine is uh, hallucinogenic. Um, it's after it fell out of use for psychological stuff. Uh, I think it was still used as an anesthetic, a general anesthetic. Uh, but it's pretty powerful stuff. And uh, it can cause harm to people's psyches. It can, indeed, in these studies, show that it can help other people's psyches. Uh, another bullshit term is attached to ketamine. And this is a new bullshit term where it's microdosing. And they talk about that in terms of hallucinogenics. Um, they talk about it in terms of uh, active compounds like uh, what is it, CBT, or I'm sorry, CBD, THC, uh, I don't know, DMT, whatever, fucking alphabet soup. Anyway, so microdosing supposedly doesn't get you high, but somehow through some wacky advertising bullshit woo-woo garbage, uh, it still has the impact on your brain. And these fly-by-night places claim <coughs> that they can get you in a situation where you can acquire these microdoses legally. Now, from what I understand, they have somebody who is perhaps a doctor, perhaps not, talk to you briefly either on the phone or online, and then is um, bereft enough of doctorly ethics that they feel comfortable with writing you a prescription online for something as serious as a uh, chemical that's been used as a hallucinogenic and an anesthetic in the past. But it's all okay now. And part of that is because people are used to seeing medical professionals uh, via the internet due to the COVID pandemic. Um, part of it's just because, you know, some people are disgusting creeps and uh, will do anything for money. That's probably more the reason for it. And, of course, doctors and therapists and everybody else are not immune to this. Uh, you, you, it doesn't matter what your profession is. 
you can still be a scumbag at heart. And anybody who is pretending to peddle these wellness solutions online in a venue where the state is really hard on licensing for actual mental health professionals and essentially regulates these non-actual mental health professionals uh, at a level of zero, it's, it's absurd. So the people who have the skills and the education have to jump through hoops to make, you know, 20, 25 bucks an hour that can be billed for two years before they even get considered to be a license. The state does that to them. And most states do, it's not just PA. But then you have these people who, again, have no education. Right? Presumably they have good advertising or marketing reps or, uh, or professionals working with them. And they're peddling their solutions without oversight whatsoever. So you make it hard for the good people to work. You make it easy for the scammers and the fly-by-natives to provide questionable services for considerable sums of money. Uh, some of these wellness groups I've seen, and some I think are mentioned in the article that I had mentioned earlier on the Wall Street Journal. <clears throat> um, some of them do online classes or packages, whatever the fuck they call them. Uh, and those can run into thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars, I guess, if you want to be considered to be a qualified, licensed huckster uh, by this particular organization. Then you can go ahead and provide fraudulent services at outrageous prices. Uh, in that sense, it's something like a pyramid scheme, but not exactly. It, it's it's an interesting variety of one. It's basically people being defrauded to the extent that they think that they can go ahead and defraud other people with approval of the original defrauders. It's just pink stupidity. And it, it's, it's really ethically, it's, it's nauseating. Um, but there's, there's no shortage of, of people out there filling that vacuum where mental health treatment truly is necessary. And it's nice that it's getting lip service in terms of awareness. But somebody didn't think this all the way through and realized that if you promote awareness, you're going to have people looking for service. And it could make it very hard and expensive and don't pay shit for the people who can legitimately provide that service. This is the situation you're going to be in, the exact situation that we're in right now. Um, again, by very vibrational frequencies. Uh, fucking space. Well, I mean, it really does. It's very similar to Thetan levels uh, and uh, all of the uh, all of the Dianetics, Elron, Hubbard, 
uh, stuff. You know, where you spent so much money that it, it becomes a pyramid scheme. You want to draw other people in who will pay you money to get defrauded in the exact same way that you will. That's what a lot of this stuff is, especially when it comes to the online courses. I also watched, uh, it's either on Netflix or Prime, because those are the only two things I pay for. Um, I think it's on Prime. It's called the Escaping Twin Universe. It's a documentary about these uh, fragile people who take this to its fullest extreme, which seems to happen with uh, all of these wellness, you know, participatory groups, uh, with the exception of 12-step groups. Um, but all the other ones that I'm really aware of, and, and the reason for that is 12-step groups largely don't involve money. Um, you can give a donation at the end of each meeting. Normally people toss in a buck, and that's for coffee and snacks. And uh, most of the time, the uh, space used is, is a community center or a local church, that sort of thing. So it really isn't money-driven in much of the way that these other organizations are. It's truly people helping people. Now, that's not to say it's perfect, but, you know, its ultimate destination is not cult-land like the rest of these places. And that comes to that Escaping Twins Universe movie. These people started out as you know, garden variety hucksters and got dumb people on the internet to buy into it, turned it into a business, um, started charging for their advanced classes so you could give classes yourself. It's, it's the same old script every single time, except these people are the ones who, uh, they know the actual truth. They're, they're those you know, select few who have truly, truly figured it out unlike all the other hucksters that you run into on a regular basis. So, uh, and then they started believing their own bullshit and basically turned it into a cult-level situation where they were telling people to change their gender identities. Um, they were telling people to pair up with their spiritually designated partner, which only they could determine. Um, all sorts of, of, if they're not illegal, they should be made illegal type of activity that these cults get into. Um, but really, you know, that's taking it to the ultimate extreme. Most people are, most people in this situation are not interested in building a cult, uh, as the term is generally accepted. Most of these people are just interested in making money hand over fist, which comes back to the War of Wall Street Times. Or Wall Street Journal, whatever the fuck it is. Who cares? New York Times and Wall Street Journal are effectively the same. Um, the same rich people collating newspapers of record, anyways. But uh, it, it, all these people want to do is make hand, money hand over fist. That's what they are there for. That's why they exist. And that's why the Wall Street Journal thinks that who better than them to go ahead and help people with their mental health concerns? Who better than entrepreneurs and investors? 
And that's why I answer quite literally anybody. You can walk up to a person on the street and ask them to help you with your mental health concern of the day. And your average person would happily, most likely, at least acknowledge your existence. You may be lucky enough to have somebody who will sit down with you and talk through stuff or point you towards somebody who can provide more professional assistance. If, of course, they're not busy putting a zip tie on your fucking car door handle at the gas station, because that, of course, that means that you will soon be kidnapped. But anybody who is not purely financially driven, whether they have attended training and education and experience or not, would be better than somebody who has financial gain as their only driving force behind them. Because mental health work is both an art and a science. And uh, that's what drew me to it in large part. Um, it fits both of those aspects of my personality and both my, my interests in both things. So when it's so easy to fool people by telling lies about hard science, which is really you know, peer-reviewed, double-blind studies, um, you know, 40 pages of incomprehensible stuff that comes out of every university department, but it's, it's real and it's verified. And you can still fool people on stuff around hard sciences. Imagine how easy, how much easier it is to fool people on so-called soft sciences, uh, which I consider you know, clinical psychology to be one. Because anywhere there's art, there's interpretation. And anywhere there's interpretation, there's a huckster willing to peddle a lie to get an extra dollar in the pocket. And unfortunately, that's a situation that uh, people find themselves in. People are looking for meaning in their life. And that makes them particularly vulnerable to, uh, to this bullshit, unfortunately. So... I guess I'll go ahead and conclude my first podcast with this. Sorry, it was a light on the humor, but uh, it was something that's been nagging at me for the past couple of days. And um, that's gotten out most of my uh, most of my frustration around this stuff. But, you know, the, the really stupid thing is, is people will buy into this stuff. They will defend it vociferously. All the while, they will also go ahead and fork their hard-earned money at these people who are simply taking advantage of them. And it's a sad situation, but there's also a certain level of schadenfreude there um, where 
there's that little kernel inside of most people, I think. There's some form of delight in seeing people who should know better fall for shit and get ripped off just like poor people do. And, uh, I mean, there's a reason the word exists for it. And by the way, I think well, Schadenfreude's from German. And it stands for, I don't know, shit hilarity? Something roughly translated like that. So it's, it's finding humor in the misfortune of others. And uh, when it comes to really rich people, um, yeah, or not even really rich people, just possessive people, people who are, who claim to care about more existential issues, and that's their claim. But they're more focused on, uh, I don't know, term sounds biblical, but earthly delights. To see people get that, get, uh, get the hammer put down on them, that's a whole different podcast, so I'll save that for later. But there is some sort of uh, perverse delight to be had in that. So, anyways, I'll conclude this. Uh, it's been about 45 minutes. Most people probably haven't made it to the end because it's still getting their feet here. But if you did make it to the end, I hope you enjoy it. I'm going to try and come out with uh, one, maybe once a week. If I'm feeling agitated on a uh, particular week, maybe I'll do two. But uh, should be at least once a week on this. I have, have it set to an RSS feed, so um, it'll be out there. And I will try to bring on some uh, some guests uh, hopefully in issue two, we'll get a, a little more friendly banter happening. Uh, we can talk about wrestling. We can talk about hockey. Uh, I'm, uh, it sounds like an egotistical asshole thing to say, but I'm a bit of a polymath and I've read a lot. And I know a little bit about a lot of stuff. And I know jack shit on one particular subject. So uh, it'll at least make for an entertaining podcast. All right, with that, I am signing off. This is your host, Steve G, broadcasting from Bridgeville, Pennsylvania. And I will hopefully see you engaged next week.